just try and think outside the box a bit. You know, if that means looking at a ghost kitchen or if that means collaborating with someone or trying to get something sold online, um, you know, do whatever you can and just think a bit and plan and you don't have to rush into it. Just take your time doing so. You know, I think it's it's everything's going to be okay. Today on Dirty Linen, it is time to talk donuts. Is there a day that is the wrong day to talk donuts? I am sure that Dean Janakis does not think so. He is the founder and managing director of St. Jerry's, a Lukamati's focused business in Melbourne. Dean, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me, Danny. It's great to have you. I know that you've got uh, so many very varied perspectives on the industry uh, just with how you've come into it and how you've started and of course all the twists and turns that you've had to do over the past 18 months. Give us a little bit of a rundown of St Jerry's. Uh, what's it all about and how did it start? Well basically um, I come from a corporate background and I was just getting a bit sick of the mundane Monday to Friday throw in a monkey suit fly wherever you're told to fly and manage people in that aspect and I've always been a foodie so when traveling in Europe uh, about seven years ago I saw the little um, Lukumadis being made on the island I'm from in Greece called Kefalonia which is on the Ionian side of Greece, Ionian Islands and um, I started writing a little bit of a business plan on the beach, came back and started as a side venture and it was just a little cart that I popped up at the South Melbourne market on a Saturday and Sunday probably fortnightly um, before I knew it, it started gaining some traction and legs and I had to make a decision. Do I grow this and take a risk or just have it as a little bit of a side venture and have some fun with it? And I, I went with the former. I said, goodbye, corporate. Hello, foodie world. <laughs> How long is it since you've put a suit on? Oh, only for uh, the occasional wedding and unfortunate funerals. But yeah, that's it. Uh, so you started with the food cart at South Melbourne Market. Um, how did it progress from there? Um, look, it was really, I think my graphic designer nailed my logo. People were just loving the social media aspect of it all and seeing that these modern Greek donuts were being made at a really busy, hustling, bustling little South Melbourne Market. Um, they lost, I think, their connection with a jam donut truck they had on the York Street side. So they said, just pop up there and see how you go. So people were pretty, pretty familiar with that area for donuts to begin with. They saw something different. And then after a couple of weeks of being there, I couldn't keep up with um, the demand. I had lines going all the way down York Street pretty much to the car park. And um, I thought, okay, I need to get some staff on board now and I need to... Um, give this a bit more of a, a go, so to speak. So tell us about the product. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, what is a Lukamadis in a traditional sense and then what have you done with it? In the traditional sense, the Greek donut, I think, has been around, well, history says since the first Olympics. Um, they were called honey. They're known as honey puffs. So it's just a yeasty little donut ball. There's um, different ways of making them with different ingredients, um, but the way I've done them is no dairy whatsoever. Um, so it's a vegan base as such, a vegan donut. And the traditional way is honey, cinnamon and walnut or honey, cinnamon and sesame seeds. Just depends what region of Greece you're from. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know which way the old Greeks would like to take this, but I've bastardized it a bit and modernized it with um, an array of different flavors, toppings, um, injections of different coolies and sauces. And the list goes on and on and on. I think I've got about 20 odd flavors now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. 
creating and um, being innovative with it and just tickling everyone's taste buds differently, so to speak. And if you had, you know, one that was a real signature, what would it be? Oh, look, the Snickers is always a big winner for us. Um, it was probably one of the first ones I launched seven years, almost seven years ago now. I import all of my chocolate from Greece. Um, so it's a hazelnut chocolate base. We make our own salted caramel, um, which I think is unbelievable. Just It's, it's rich, it's nice. Um, it's made fresh weekly. And then crushed peanuts. And everyone's used to that Snickers bar flavor and they fly out the door. Sounds very good. Um, okay, so you, you sort of started as, as a mobile business, uh, but then you put roots down more firmly. Tell us how the business progressed. Well, one cart became two carts, and that was because I actually got um, a lot of inquiries for weddings and christenings and birthdays. Um, and then before I knew it, I was receiving emails from um, various event organisers asking me to do the Lonsdale Street Greek Festival the Royal Melbourne Show, Moomba, the Finders Keepers Markets, and the list goes on. So two carts ended up becoming um, also a retro caravan slash food truck. And then just because we were getting so busy and inundated with inquiries, I thought, well, there's enough popularity with it now um, to really pop up a shop. So I had a pop-up space at the Melbourne Central um, probably in 2014 or so or late 14, early 15. And then um, I was fortunate enough to lease a space on Eden Mall in Oakley and open up my flagship shop, which was a 60-seater. And uh, that was insane. I just didn't think that we'd have queues out the door the way we did and no tables and chairs available um, all night long because they were taken up by people wanting Greek donuts and a coffee or milkshake. So um, that's where it sort of, it got to at one point. And then I opened up another shop at QV, which was only a short-term um, lease for about four to five months. Um, and then it's just progressively grown from there with plans to grow even further. I mean, Oakley is such a big Greek area. Um was it, you know, traditional, was it people who knew Lukamatis, you know, from trips to Greece or from their families and then they just saw this new spin on it and it just really took off? Yeah, it was that. But it was also a lot of the people that had come and um, purchased them at either, you know, events, markets or what have you, just knowing that, oh, they're available at a shop now. We don't have to wait for the next market in two or three months or look up at what event they're going to be at next. So my um, demographic is just... It's very widespread. It's from your teenage kids up until up to your older retired demographic, but nationalities vary. Like I've got a very huge um, following from the Asian market. A lot of um, Australians or Anglo-Saxon people love the donuts because there's certain flavors which they enjoy purchasing and eating. It's funny, you know, what a, to try to sort of uh, think about what it is that makes a product get this sort of cult status almost that people will line up for it they'll tell their friends about it they'll instagram it i mean do you feel like you stumbled on it or was there some kind of strategic uh pathway towards going viral like this i think um i'll probably sit on the fence with that one i'd say there was a bit of strategy behind it but i think i also stumbled on it at the, at the right time so the strategy behind it was probably back in 2014 a fair few um, food trucks were sort of hitting Melbourne streets. Um, 
there were only a handful of renowned ones out there. Um, you know, Beatbox Kitchen with Raf um, was obviously one of the first out there and he was slinging heaps of burgers. And then uh, Mr. Burger jumped on the scene and a few more trucks started popping up. Greek Street Food, Dos Diablos doing tacos and some cool, cool trucks were out there, but there were only ever ice cream trucks. So I thought to myself, well, if these guys are doing roaring trade with savory options and your standard jam donut is being, has been done forever in a day and your Mr. Whippy trucks have been done forever in a day, why wouldn't Greek donuts work when we've got A, a huge Greek population in Melbourne and B, we're one of the foodie capitals of the world. So it was a bit of both actually, Danny. Mm. All right. Well, that's all the that's all the good stuff. Now let's talk about adversity striking, and we can even go back before the pandemic um, to the fire that struck you in Oakley. Yeah, it's probably one of the um, most memorable um, incidences that I've probably had in my life. Um, why? Because you know you grow something from green shoots or from, you know, from a baby and you leave a very well-paying corporate job at a high level to do this. And, um, you know, when you're doing such good trade and you're renowned for being, you know, the Greek donut pretty much business in Melbourne and you're in the heart of little Greece, so to speak, in Eden Mall and that occurs. Um, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking and very stressful. So unfortunately, a restaurant, a neighbouring restaurant had a fire and my shop wrapped above theirs. Fire Brigade had to put it out and one of my, the top floor collapsed onto the ground floor and it was game over from there pretty much. Oh, that's so bad. So, yeah. So obviously you had to close and have you not reopened that business? I haven't reopened. Unfortunately, the case is still going on in court as we speak. I actually sent an email this morning to my lawyer dealing with it. It's a bit of a nightmare case, to be honest with you. Um, insurer is battling insurer. Uh, lawyers are getting involved. The backlog with COVID cases um, in the courts are not helping my cause whatsoever. So it's dragging on. And um, there was a snowball or ripple effect from that regarding another property I purchased that I was going to live in and rent out my current one. So it was very stressful times for a small business owner to, um, you know, pretty much deal with something like this. Um, yeah, very, very stressful. And then that rolls into COVID. And, you know, when you rattled off all the great events that you got invited to, and I think about the private ones, you know, the weddings, the christenings, all those, but, of course, also the public ones, Moomba, et cetera, et cetera. Um, tell me how COVID has affected the event and catering arm of your business. Yeah, well, following the fire incident, um, you know, it was only eight, nine months later that this beautiful COVID kicked in and, um, yeah, it absolutely destroyed the event and hospitality industries a lot, and alongside other industries as well. I mean, I don't just focus on mine as such, but, you know, when you can't have people gathering to outdoor events or indoor events because of the lockdowns, I think I had in excess of 90 private events, um, events or slash catering festivals, markets, music festivals, either cancelled or postponed because of the lockdown or lockdowns. Um, and that's a big hit, especially when you're, you've done all the background work and your EOIs or tenders and applications to get these events and, you know, maintain that relationship with these event organizers. 
you've done all your paperwork for them and kept your insurances up and your statement of trades with your local councils and their councils and you go purchase stock or, you know, even get another setup ready thinking that I need another one on the road to do these events. Otherwise I'm going to miss out on them and spend money on that and then get hit down, hit, hit with the lockdown. Um, yeah, it, it's a huge hit, massive. Have there been times where you sort of thought, geez, yeah, I had to put on a suit and uh, manage people and whatever, but corporate life was a bit cushy compared to this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It crossed my mind many a times, especially through um, the longer lockdown period last year. I thought to myself, yeah, you know, do, do you just get that CV ready and throw it at a couple of recruitment agencies and see what's out there and, you know, dangle the carrot? But I'm a foodie at heart and I've put way too much money, blood, sweat and tears into this business. And, um, you know, a lot of people have tried to follow suit, not only Australia wide with the Greek donut craze, but also internationally. And I get requests from people all the time asking me to help them out with their business and so forth. And I help to a certain degree, but I mean, at the end of the day, they are competition if they're here or if they're in the United Arab Emirates, it doesn't really matter. Um, But you know, to know that I've done a fair bit with this brand and how much time I've put into it, I, I just I can't just step away from it that easily. I've gone I've gone through enough in the last twenty four months to know that there can't be much bigger hurdles than what I've already tackled than um than than this, so to speak. So no, no, I'm not giving up. So in in full optimism, you've opened two shops in other locations now, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a um Balaclava on Carlisle Street's been open for about four or five months now. And I took that lease on and started fitting the shop out through the back end of the lockdowns last year, thinking, you know what, I'll take another little bit of a risk. Um, I'm a sucker for punishment. So I did open it up and, you know, much to my dismay, I actually had some issues there with flooding and electricity, um, which closed me down six times in the space of um, the first two months of me opening. So there was a bit of an issue there back and forth with my landlord and the agent and um, obviously getting some more works done to the the site. But I was like, you know, it's all good. (laughs) Just keep following the path. It's fine. And then I've got another location in Springvale, which has been there as a pop-up for probably about 18 months. And, you know, that's been great. Uh, And I'm looking at some more locations now um, in different areas of Melbourne and potentially regional. It's great. I mean, so... Um, we've chatted on and off over the past, I don't know, year or whatever, but um, we got back in touch on Friday night when Melbourne had its massive Uber Eats meltdown and you were one of the businesses impacted by that. And um, it's so delivery has obviously become a big part of your business just without, you know, the events and the markets and all that kind of stuff. Um, for a start, I, I mean, honestly, I've never thought to order donuts to be delivered, but it's obviously a massive thing. It's huge. Um, I wouldn't have thought so either myself, even as the owner of the business. But um, it's funny that, I don't know, is it that couch food that you want watching a movie at night or watching the footy at night? Or if you've got friends over, let's get a few because we've ordered pizzas and we want a dessert option. I don't know what it is, but... They do travel well, which is good. Um, And we can get back to the traveling aspect of it because sometimes they don't, depending on what the Uber drivers are doing that night. Um, But yeah, look, 
I don't know what it is, but they absolutely fly out the door in there, stapled up bags. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. So tell me what happened uh, on Friday night with the whole Uber Eats uh, schmuzzle. I took my first Friday night off in a while um, and I was I had a lot of running around to do all week, just stocking up my shops and all the rest of the things that business owners do. And um, one of my staff members called me from one location saying, oh, we've just had about six or seven orders cancelled in a row. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound right. I've never had an issue like that before. I mean, the odd occasional cancelling cancelled order can happen, but not six or seven in a row. And then I had a call from a staff member from my other location saying, we've just put together, I think, 24 or 25 bags of orders and none of them are getting picked up. No drivers are accepting them and they're just cancelling now slowly, slowly as we go. They're dropping off like flies. And I was like, okay, something's not right here. So um, I tried to call the hotline for some assistance and um, there was just a little pre-recorded message saying that there's high weight volume. It's going to be an hour or so for me to even get through to an operator. So again, I thought something's not right here. And then I just jumped on social media and had a scroll because I follow a lot of restaurants and cafes and so forth and show them support from my page. And um, it was a meltdown. I think everyone Melbourne wide was just experiencing the same issue and it, it was crazy. Disgruntled customers were calling both my shops and my private mobile phone number as well, um, going off at us because their orders weren't getting picked up or delivered. And it wasn't us, clearly. It was Uber Eats. And you rely so heavily on them. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, I'd been looking at this issue during the week before there was this major meltdown on Friday night. And what I'd heard from a lot of hospitality operators, not just in Melbourne, but Melbourne was where I was focused, was that it was an issue generally that uh, there was a shortage of drivers and orders were often not picked up. Things definitely were much worse on Friday night. I think there was some kind of system glitch. Um, but it seems like there is an issue getting Uber Eats orders to people uh, on an ongoing basis. Absolutely. It's been happening for um, probably the last handful of months. Um, I've been experiencing it a lot actually where you know, it'll just on the tablet, it'll say searching for a driver and that can take 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so my rule of thumb now with staff is don't get that order ready until you see that a driver's accepted the order. But the issue with that as well, that can backfire on you too, is even if the driver's accepted the order, they can take a while to get to you or they can cancel it on their end and then it goes back into a searching pool again. Um the other big issue too is that Uber Eats is allowing drivers to collect multiple orders on the way and drop off multiple orders on the way. So, I mean, if you're not the first cab off the rank and closest to whatever distance they're driving to, then you're, if yours is last, there's a good chance your food's going to be delivered cold. Mm. And, I mean, you said that your product travels reasonably well. Yeah, it does, but... Um, you know, if we've made it and it's been sitting there waiting for five, 10 minutes for the driver to arrive and then they do have multiple deliveries with them and it takes another five, 10 minutes to get to a customer, they're not going to be that hot, crispy shelled consistency. They're going to be warm to lukewarm. Um, the toppings are going to, you know, gradually melt some more and then that crispy shell becomes a soggier shell. So it's not like you, it's not the same product you'd eat in-house or get delivered within a five to 10 minute period. 
and I prefer them being eaten within 10 minutes. I mean, let's talk about the feedback that you get from customers. Like, I mean, we can we can talk about the platform. There's obviously some issues there. I mean, I'll, yeah, uh, it's something that I'll keep talking about on this podcast. But something else that I want to keep focusing on is the feedback that you get from customers. And we can talk about it in terms of, you know, the sort of influences more generally and how those reviews can impact you as a business. But then let's also dig specifically into the kind of grief that you get when there's um, – a problem that's not your fault, but you're the person that the customers feel that they can yell at. Yes. Well, I don't know if this whole rating system with online ordering um, is warranted or needed, to be honest with you, Um, because it can really put down a business. um, You know, you've got an average rating of, you know, all my locations have always been sitting around the 4.8, 4.9 out of 5. But, you know, since the last handful of months we just discussed because of this issue with drivers um you get your random one and two star ratings and the comments are 95 percent of the time too slow took too long to get to me food was cold um that's an issue that they should be taking up with uber eats but unfortunately that impacts us as business owners and it doesn't really let your product speak for itself i mean do you lose that custom from now on and there's there's only a certain amount of times I can reply back to the customer on the back end of Uber Eats on the restaurant portal and give them an offer of anywhere between six up to 30 or $40 apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, it was out of our control. This was an Uber issue. You should bring it up with Uber, but here's six or 15 or $20 on us for your next order because you don't want to lose them. But that's digging into your profit because Uber's already taking 30% plus GST per dollar you make. Yeah, I just think there's too much rating and ranking going on in general. I mean, I was on the phone to um, to my super company earlier because, you know, I couldn't lost my password or whatever. And, you know, they helped me out. And then at the end of that call, it's like, you know, I want you to rate them and rank them. And, you know, I was on the phone to the, like trying to get a better deal on my housing insurance a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the call, they want you to rate them and rank them. It's like, do we all need to be given a performance review for every single act that we make in this world? I think it's crazy, Danny. I really do. I mean, when I work corporate, I'd do a yearly performance review with my staff. And even then I felt bad doing it, but I had to do it because I was told to. Um, Why should every single milkshake or coffee or uh, steak or seafood platter or anything that you may order online or pick up have to warrant a review or a rating? I just don't understand it. What does it prove and what does it do and does it deter people? I mean, if they scroll through Uber and see that your average now is 4.5 instead of 4.8, oh, they've dropped their game. I'm not going to order from them. I'm going to look at what other dessert option is in the area or what other pizza option or burger option is in the area and order from them instead because they've got a 4.7 out of 5. Well, okay. How long have they been around? Are they an established brand? Um, have you gone into their shop to try them out or are they just a ghost kitchen in the back alley of street XYZ? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I know that restaurants uh, do get very concerned if their ratings drop. Um, and so I guess, you know, there is uh, there is a, a feeling whether or not it's borne out by, you know, um, bums on seats or orders on iPads, but there is a feel, there is a sense that you know a, a, a lower ranking does mean less business, um, and I think every sort of, everyone sort of buys into that ecosystem by 
caring, but also by ranking. Um, it's it's just pretty messed up. And I guess it, when think it's so reductive, you know, it doesn't allow for the subtleties of an experience. It doesn't allow for whether the person has good taste or not. Um, and and of course, it can be skewed by things that are nothing to do with the 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 business, the rating or the ranking. As you say, it's to do with a third party. So. Yeah, it's and I think it also just being people being asked for their opinions all the time does or can and certainly not with everybody, but it can lead to this sense of, I guess, entitlement that your opinion is so important and that you've got this power, you know, you've got this power to uh, praise a business, but conversely, you also have this power to diminish a business with a low ranking. Um, And they can exactly can you can diminish a business. And I mean, as you said, it's not every individual out there, but what if this individual has woken up on the wrong side of bed and had a really bad day or, you know, this lockdown is really, really affecting them. And there's been, I don't know, examples, some domestic violence at home and let's try and make it good and let's order in some food. And then the food comes cold because the Uber Eats driver took their sweet time to deliver it. They're going to unleash on you when that rating time comes. But if they had a really nice day and everything is fine and dandy and there's no problem with the lockdown because they're working from home and exercising and they're cool with it because they're enjoying it and the food came and it was slightly lukewarm, oh, that's cool. I really – I wanted it. I loved it. I ordered it. I'll give you a five-star rating. Well, I don't know. Is that the way it's meant to work? Yeah, I don't know. It all – it just all seems – engineered to not let people be the best versions of themselves to one another. I totally agree. Hmm. I mean, do you, are you in a position where you could opt out of the delivery platforms? Unfortunately, not with these lockdowns, especially through these lockdowns and the current climate we're experiencing. Um, you know, I, I did give Mr. Yum a go at my Springvale location, but the problem is, um, you've got to have your own drivers with some other um, delivery providers. I mean, and that's wages and cars and or bikes or whatever it may be if these so-called drivers don't have them or you want to get your staff to do it. And, you know, it's it works out more, probably a lot more than the 30% that Uber Eats take. But unfortunately, when it comes to deliveries and people scrolling through um, apps to order online, Uber Eats have market share. I mean, that's who you think of straight away. Mm. It doesn't matter about Snoop Dogg's menu log ad or, you know, de- delivery trying to pump up that they're the first ones to u- have Maccas on board and what have you. Majority of the people use Uber Eats. It's a dollar you'll never make. It's, it's that sale you would never have had. So if you've got a good margin in your product, which I'm fortunate enough to, then um, you let it keep pinging away at night and fulfilling the orders. I mean, for someone out there that's putting – a Wagyu steak together with duck fat potato, duck fat fried potatoes and, you know, an expensive kohlrabi salad of some sort. There's no margin in there. So, you know, they wouldn't use Uber Eats. It's not, it's not smart for them. It's not smart business. Mm. Well, I guess it's even more heartbreaking for someone who has that lower margin, who just feels like they need to be on it, let's say in a lockdown and then not only are they losing money to begin with. They get hindered <laughs> the with all the other stuff on the back yeah. end. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's set that to one side because it's just making me feel frustrated. Although I did remember that I've got a kohlrabi in the fridge, so I'm going to make a kohlrabi salad later. Um, so, Dean, 
um, let's talk about events because, uh, you know, hopefully Melbourne is going to be out of lockdown to some degree this week. Um, I guess one thing we can be sure of is that it's not going to snap back to what it was and even where it was was not great for events. Um, How do you see that sort of events, festivals, part of your business going forward? Look, I'd like to see it obviously get to where it was at. Um, Will it ever get back to where it was at? I mean, we need a crystal ball to get to have the answer for that. But um, I see events starting up again. And I'm only saying that because it was only a handful of weeks ago. I was at the Queen Vic market for the donut festival they held there. And, you know, I had a queue of people about 150 metres long for six hours. Wow. You know, and then you had Channel Channel 9 and Channel 7 doing live broadcasts and jumping in my food truck with their cameras and it was mayhem. So, you know, when Melbourne are out in force and the right events are um, in place Melbourne-wide, the public go out. They love it. They enjoy it. Um, They'll wait in line. They'll be patient um, because it's not only an outing for them, but I think they're also supporting um, local business, which is great for us. Um, but I don't know. Are they going to sit there and try and cap things? I know that Moomba last year um, was a very different Moomba to the year before. Uh, the year before was obviously open for all. I think they get hundreds of thousands of people over the four days. Last year, they capped it through three service points per day. So there'd be a one hour COVID clean between each session at three and a half thousand people to come in ticketed per session. And then security would close off the gates. I mean, that's a huge hit for the food traders there that are used to going there. I mean, I've done Moomba five or six times now and absolutely getting slammed for hours on end from morning until night to twiddling their thumbs and hoping that a couple of people will line up and try and make some money. So did that capping work? I don't know. Um, will it, Will they pursue the same thing again? I don't know. But based on what the Queen Vic Market did, and they did so well with the Donut Festival, I think it was three weeks ago now, um, everything was fine. So I think we can back get back into the swing of things. I, I, I seriously think we can. Yeah, I think we can too. I just hope the timeline doesn't push out too far for many operators to sort of hang in there. I think one thing we can be sure of is that when people are able to gather and get back out there, they are definitely keen to. So, you know, there'll be the support there for sure. Of course. I mean, I know that indoor events are going to be different to outdoor events um, because it's a contained space. Um, Again, to what degree or what percentage of people they allow in and how they space them out or social distance. I really don't know. Um, But there's so many amazing indoor events that happen in Melbourne yearly. I mean, the Finders Keepers is a huge one and that's been postponed now for almost two years. And they've had to move from the Royal Exhibition Building Carlton, which has been their bread and butter since they started their markets to Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre, which is meant to be on the 13th to the 15th of August. I mean, how is that going to go ahead now? with whatever restrictions they're going to pretty much spit out at us tomorrow. I don't know. You know, the Dog Lover Show is a huge one. Um, there's, there's so many cool indoor shows that take place. Royal Melbourne Show is indoor slash outdoor. 
Uh, Royal Melbourne show got cancelled for the first time in 60 years last year. And, you know, I had the contract to do that. Um, will that run again? I don't know. Look at Mel- Look at the Grand Prix. It's gone again. How do you process all this uncertainty? It, it's, it's crazy. It keeps you up at nights as a small business owner, knowing that that's one of the main arms of your business and what started your business and what people know you for, you know. Um, hence why I've started some shops and I'm looking at more bricks and mortar in different locations just to branch out because I, I just don't know what the future holds. Mm. What would you say to other business owners or people that work in hospitality, Dean, and perhaps not not even just in Melbourne, but also in Sydney, which is doing it extra tough? Like what kind of attitude has helped you get through these past couple of years? For me, the attitude, the approach I've taken is um, it's hard to say, but you've just got to try and not be impatient with it all. You just got to try to be patient and try to stay as level headed as possible. I mean, we're humans with emotions and I get all that and, you know, it's frustrating, it's hard, it's hard work, but there are people out there that are in a lot worse boats than us, um, not only financially, but health-wise and, um, you know, families being impacted and so forth. And I look at those scenarios and think to myself, you know, I've still got a roof over my head. Um, I've got a brand that I've built. I've got staff that I employ and I help them, you know, put food on their tables as well or pay for their um, studies or whatever it may be. Just try and think outside the box a bit. Um, You know, if that means looking at a ghost kitchen or if that means collaborating with someone or trying to get something sold online, um, you know, do whatever you can and just think a bit and plan and you don't have to rush into it. Just take your time doing so. You know, I think it's it's everything's going to be okay. I've recently started a wholesale arm of my business, which has been running for about maybe three or four months now. It was in the works late last year, but I had to get Balaclava up and running. So I had to put on hold for a bit where I'm supplying restaurants and cafes with my donuts in 100 lots, um, depending how many they need. And they refry and dress them accordingly. So, you know, that's something else that I started up thinking – well, that's a bit bulletproof because if they've got delivery happening and takeaway as well, they can sell my product and make their margin on that and I make my margin as well. Mm. So you just got to always, yeah, keep keep ideas ticking. I think you have to. I mean, the more creative you are in a space where most people are creative, you know, a lot of people that are in the food industry have that creative background or that flair, um, you know, use it to your ability. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, it's great to hear your optimism, even in amongst such difficulty. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Dean. It's really been great to have you on Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me, Danny. I really appreciate it and appreciate your time. And just hopefully all of us in all these lockdown cities in Australia and even overseas can just get over this together and um, get back to some form of normality sooner rather than later. With donuts in hand. Absolutely. Comfort food is just needed, especially in winter. 100%. Thanks, Dean. Thanks so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au 
or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.